Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 91 is being recorded live November 24th, 2011, Turkey Day. Yay, Turkey Day. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. Here are a few things we're going to be covering in the news this week. We have underwater tornadoes, the deadly touch of ice, surviving a fire in a pool, and then we also have a few other bits and pieces such as ghost town, treasures, just a full news week. And I'd like to welcome my co-host again, Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well, thank you. It's still getting a little chillier out there. But no snow and no hard water, so, hey, we're a go for this weekend. Excellent. That's good news. And for those of you listening around the world, today in the United States is Thanksgiving, a.k.a. Turkey Day, which I think is one of our more important holidays, only because it leads into what, over the last few years, has been called Black Friday, the day of obsessive shopping. So I, I don't remember this as a kid. I is this must be a fairly recent phenomenon, or I just didn't pay attention. Mac, was this well, something that was popular twenty, thirty years ago? I don't think so. I don't think the uh, the necessity was out there. I think Black Friday came because people are trying to get the money back into the economy. I, I really only remember it maybe ten, twelve years at most. Yeah. Well, about fifteen years ago, I was working at Walmart, and at that point in time. I kind of thought of it as an internal term. I mean, it was a big shopping day for us, but uh, I don't remember the public realizing it was Black Friday. I think we called it Black Friday because it was just so brutal on the staff to work a store and then have all those deals. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely getting picking up steam now, and you can't go anywhere without hearing news. Now, some of our international people in the room I even saw asking what was Black Friday. And the best way I can describe back Black Friday is the day before you eat a bunch of turkey, and then if you decide that the sale flyers have a deal that's great enough, so say you have a TV that would normally be $239, they'll have a Black Friday deal on those TVs for $89. And then really fine print, they'll say one or two per store or eight per store if you're lucky. And then so people who know that there's only going to be a few per store will wait out in line. So if you turn on the news right now, you are going to see a bunch of people out there with the news media covering them as they're waiting in cold weather. It's about 40 degrees outside uh, to get the first shot at this. And coming from the retail side, you know, opening that door has got to be one of the scariest things I've ever done. I worked in the sheriff's department. I don't think I was half as scared as I was opening that door on Black Friday. It can get pretty violent, and we have had deaths, uh, people getting trampled when the doors are open. Do you think it's a European soccer game where everybody runs out onto the field and hurts each other? Yeah, it certainly does. I, When I worked retail, we had injuries every year, no matter what we tried to do. You always had somebody who would trip, sprain an ankle, get pushed, crashed against the door. Luckily, no deaths in any of the retail situations I worked in, but it can be quite crazy. And, and it's getting that way. Uh, that It used to be just the big box retailers, and now it seems like everybody's gotten in the game. 
Well, a lot of times the deals, I can remember several years ago, some of the deals were freaking outstanding if you were one of the first 10 or 20 people. I mean, you could buy computer system, monitor, printer, the whole shebang, you know, and it's a drawdown, obviously, you know, yep. for, you know, 100, 150 bucks. And it's leading into uh, the online have called, they have their big day, their biggest shopping day of the year will be this coming Monday. So you've got Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And I think that we need to call Saturday Blue Saturday and just make that like the best diving day of the year. Works for me. So that I know that's what I'm going to be doing on, on Saturday, getting some diving in. I just know that whenever we had a big sale day, because I used to do a Kmart, work at Kmart, was two days after the big sales, you had a heck of a lot of refunds. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people get the, the buyer's remorse and they see what they got and they might not want it. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't such a good deal after all. Maybe not. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump on into the news and we've got a full news week. You know, after all that Thanksgiving, thank you for everybody who pushed away from the Thanksgiving table. Or maybe if you're hearing this a couple of days from now, you've survived the uh, tryptophan, tryptophan, as I'm pronouncing that right. And listening to the show, hopefully we can keep you awake. The first article we have is Ziegel founder. He gets a pardon. Now, that, that is amazing because I went ahead and read that. At least this way, I know where he got the capital to start his business. <laughs> yes. Well, he was, was he coming from the DeLorean School of uh, Business Management? Uh, I think it was the get-rich-quick philosophy. Yep. So to read through the article, uh, Dennis Bullen, he arrived in Zephyr Hills, as a skydiving bum in the late 70s, he quickly moved to a new hobby, which was scuba diving. The inventor and entrepreneur combined those two passions to form a company called Ziegel Systems, which has now turned into one of the leading scuba gear manufacturing companies. Uh, and it's it actually turned 32 years old this year. He's got several patents, and uh, he's been very successful. This year, he celebrated another milestone of being 61, and he also received a full pardon from U.S. President Barack Obama. And pardons are fairly rare from the president, and uh, you know they, they tend to like to do them when they don't get a whole lot of publicity. Uh, but uh, uh, what, and what the pardon was for is he had in uh, 1987 been sentenced by a federal court in Alabama to a felony conviction for the conspiracy to distribute more than 1,000 pounds of marijuana, you know, a thousand pounds, a half a ton of marijuana. He received five years probation and had to pay $20,000 fine. There's not a whole lot of uh, details on it, but, uh, he was one of five people to receive the presidential pardon this time around, and only one of 22 people to receive the pardon during Obama's term of office out of 4,625 applications. Uh, this particular story, so they couldn't get any comments out of uh, Bullen, uh, but uh, you know they did. They were able to interview some people around him. They said one has known him from, since 1983. I didn't know what to tell you. Uh, it seems to be kind of a consensus. People are shocked who didn't know about the story. Uh, for those of us who might think that there could be some sort of political uh, shenanigans going on, uh, research has found that he's only donated $250, uh, $250 in the last 15 years for anything political rated, and it was for a, a campaign of a circuit judge. Uh, and he's actually considered to be a Republican and is registered as such. Uh, 
over the years, he had had many of uh, the restrictions that come with getting a felony conviction have been over, overturned or lessened. The federal conviction does prevent him from owning a gun. While he has regained his rights in Florida uh, for voting, uh, the, the restrictions would follow him if he moved to a different state. Uh, he started his career by working at a small parachute equipment manufacturer, Eagle Systems. He later bought the company, tacked Z on to the end for, or the beginning for Zephyr Hills, and that's when Ziegle was born. So, uh, you know, what they were trying to do was, I'm sure, clean up his record so this wouldn't come out, but it seems like a pardon actually has kind of the opposite effect. Don't you think, Mac? Well, at this point, he's already a multimillionaire. Uh, big deal. But, I mean, you know, a thousand pounds and you only get a slap on the wrist. I mean, you got a conviction, but it just, if that had been me, I'd been, I'd still be in jail. Well, it's not, I mean, he was nobody when he was convicted. I don't think. A thousand freaking pounds. He got probation and a fine. Now that is more amazing that anybody, no matter who you were, only got one year for a thousand pounds. Well, he didn't get, he, he got five years probation, period, no jail time and a fine. Now, thousand pounds of marijuana, twenty thousand dollar fine. I wonder if he distributed it, and how much did he distribute before they got him? I don't know. Well, you, you mean you're saying that he had more than a thousand pounds? I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, if he had a twenty, if he had twenty thousand dollars, he could already pay for his fine. It's like the druggies now. You make one run in your airplane. If you're successful, you're coming away pretty good. It's, it, you know, they can afford to lose it because big deal. The airplane's not much compared to how much you can, you know, a thousand pounds of other stuff. Somebody That's, in the chat room saying a thousand pounds isn't much. In Michigan, where we do have medical marijuana, I'm, I'll have to ask uh, the relatives who have those uh, medical cards. I think you're limited to like 10 pounds or 20 pounds. I didn't think it was that much. I thought you're talking ounces. Yeah, well, there's and well, there's actually different ratings. If you get above a certain amount, that you're actually considered to be distribution. And distribution, yeah. I mean, in around here, they're seizing cars and houses. If he, if that happened today, where he had a thousand pounds, no matter what, yeah. they would have seized something. Yeah. I mean, in, what what he got back then would be nothing compared to to now. At least that's that's my my opinion. What it is, but. You know, he's he's gone beyond it. He's run a successful company, makes some dive gear. So good for him. But just, just kind of interesting how this all plays out. And this next one is we have a diver who is fined for stealing from an underwater grave. Yeah, this one, yeah I think that's stretching the uh, the topic or the term grave. But well, we, we see that a lot with military vessels now. Uh, yeah. It depends where and who and what. But a uh, diver's been fined. 1,400 pounds after pleading guilty to stealing two relics from official war grave. Uh, Duncan Keats took the ornate porthole and oval-shaped metal plate from the wreck of the HMS Duke of Albany when he was diving last summer. His fellow divers who he was diving with saw him steal a protective and reported the theft. Police detectives used Facebook to track him down. Uh, Mr. Keats and recovered both items in a house in Lancashire. Lancashire. I'm going to, people are cringing right now as I mispronounce that again. Uh, they say, although we had possession of the items believed to have been removed from the wreck, we still had to conclusively tie them to HS, HMS Duke of Albany, explained uh, Sergeant Peter Cassidy, who led the investigation. With the help of experts, they were to testify that they visited the site and had seen the items. Enough evidence was gathered that Mr. Keats pled guilty in court. He was fined 1,400 pounds for taking the items from a protective site and now are possession of the National Museum of the Royal Navy in Portsmouth. 
The Duke of Albany uh, was used to ferry before World War I, sailing between Fleetwood and Belfast. In 1914, she was taken over the by the Royal Navy and used as an armored as an armed boarding vessel around Orkneys. A German submarine torpedoed the ship two years later, killing 20 men and sinking the former ferry some 30 miles northwest of Wick in Scotland. The wreck was discovered just four years ago by divers who spent years researching her fate. The site became an official war grave is now one of 67 protected sites. It is illegal to tamper with the wreck or move anything without without a government license. That's the key word. You pay them some money, you can do what you want. They just didn't get their cut, so they're pissed. <laughs> well, he, he had a bunch of people turned him in as soon as he did it. <clears throat> yeah, those are good buddies. <laughs> well, I, I'm picturing since the they uh, had to track him down through Facebook, they really weren't uh, his buddies to begin with. Yeah, it must have taken him a little while, too. I, I don't think you're just going to go down there and pick that up in about five minutes and take it back up. Well, it makes you wonder what, yeah, exactly, uh, you know, a porthole. And looking at the photo of this vessel, that's an iron-hulled object. So uh, either got some pretty good deterioration, he's able to wrench it free, or he was actually doing some construction. Yeah, well, did you take a look at the small picture of the porthole they're talking about? It's right there by the picture of the boat. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I see it now. If you, That's uh, very ornate. That is. I've never seen one quite like that. Yeah, that's that's beyond me what I've seen. But then we're, we are talking some sort of ferry vessel. Yeah. And that's I'm, ferry is in transferring across, not ferry is in the little things that fly. Or other things. Yeah, or other things. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that, that, that drives us on to the next one, scuba escape. And I thought this one was interesting. Down in New Zealand, I, I guess they're having some fires down there. Okay. Article, come on up. And then here we go. Uh, Peter Frabrici. Survived devastating uh, Preville fire by using scuba gear to stay at the bottom of a swimming pool as an inferno raged. When the 53-year-old's friend called him to warn him, he could see a wall of fire heading towards a father of two's beloved river home. He made sure he was ready. He knew he had about 45 minutes to get his wife to safety and prepare himself for one of the toughest fights of his life. He decided to stay behind the home that he had built from the ground up. He had set about making an oxygen device. Now, that's a typical scuba bottle, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out as they're reporting. Is, uh, all, all reporters call a scuba tank an oxygen device. Strapped it to a small trolley. Must be wheeled cart. I almost need a translator. Uh, I went around the house with a trolley. Of course, he sang trolley too. My mouthpiece and goggles on. That was the only way I could stay in the house as long as I did. If it wasn't for that, I had difficult to say where I would still be here or not. It was a very close call. The flame of the environments uh, that were gnarly. I thought the house was gone for sure. Things were exploding around me. It was just very, it was just a very comforting situation. Uh, I dived head on the pool with a trolley in one arm, my Google's in the other, to find out the pool cover was still on. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be laughing, but can you? That, that sounds like something that would happen to me. <laughs> I just spent, and then I just spent five minutes in the bottom of the pool. I was looking at some of the items on that, some of the comments from people. They're talking about he's lucky his cylinder didn't heat up enough to explode. Well, if the cylinder heated up enough to explode, he's got a lot more problems than oh, that. He, he'd have burned up. Uh, yeah. Now, it That's sounds like he might have been wearing the tank outside of the water and breathing on it, you know, because of all the smoke. And it was just at the end when it got to be so much that he jumped in the pool. Yeah. There's other comments like most people who use their swimming pool as refuge boil. I I don't really have any experience with the flash fires like that, but as I recollect, 
those flyers come across and sweep really, really quick. So I don't think you'd have a sustained period of time that you would cause the water to boil, especially if it was a big, you know, swimming, excuse me, swimming pool. Well, yeah, I, that, that we'd have to check with somebody who, who knows about that. Cause I'm sure that's not the first time. And maybe it depends if you got an above ground pool or below ground pool or what's going on. But, uh, you know, thankfully for him, and this is another reason to be a scuba diver. It can save yourself if you have a fire blowing over you. But, you know, I didn't think about that, but I, I would think that a, uh, a above ground pool would be more susceptible to melting. So well, a lot of above ground, a... ground pools are a, uh, a steel laminated with vinyl. Are they? Yeah. So they got like a vinyl covering on the outside of the steel. So you could have a little bit of stress to them. And I don't, and it's not a heavy galvanized steel. Ah, interesting. So chat, yeah, this has really got the chat. I, I can't watch a chat room or I'll get, I'll get too distracted, but they're having a great conversation in there about it. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're missing the live chat room, you're missing a lot. They have, it looks like they're having a blast. Now, does this one go in sync with the one right under it? Man survives in his pool with scuba diving gear. Yeah, that was actually the live article. So if you go, when you see the show notes, everybody, you're going to see both the original article I found. I found that earlier in the week where it was live. Uh, footage of the fires as they were going on. And then this, the article that you're going to see that we t- covered at the top was actually the uh, a, a more in-depth story they did with them at the end. Uh, the pictures in that one are awesome, too. Yeah, just it's unbelievable. I mean, fires, uh, they have they have a aerial view. If you look at that one and you just see, it's like a giant mountain of smoke. Yeah, that's and you can, awesome. And you can see all the boats, like, heading away. So, yeah, just well, unbelievable. Well, I think the... Uh, scuba tank just to breathe out there i don't know how you could have breathed in that smoke yeah well i think that's what he was doing i think i think he was in he was trying to save the house uh you know so i'm a picture a guy out there with a with a garden hose spraying everything around and when it finally gets too much to be able to handle he jumps in the pool yeah that's what you've seen here the guy there tries to do it with the water hose the fire takes him in the house exactly well, the next article that we've got up on the docket is scuba exercise helps stroke re- stroke survivor recover. We've talked about uh, the veterans and uh, who have had nerve damages, what scuba can do for them. But this is somebody who suffered a stroke. A Clinton man had gone beneath the surface in hopes of someday becoming physically whole. He says, I see me being a whole person a couple years. And he is using scuba diving as a form of physical therapy after having a stroke February 6, 2009. Uh, during the incident, and did you pick up this part, Mac? It ha- when it occurred in Clearfield, he was arrested by Davis County Sheriff's de- deputies on suspicion of drinking while in- of driving while intoxicated. He was handcuffed and put in the back of a patrol car. It was not until the police took him to the hospital and medical center and they drew blood, they discovered they had suffered a stroke. So here's somebody who's acting drunk and visibly intoxicated, and really it wasn't intoxication. He was uh, had a stroke. So you, you wonder how much of that vital beginning time uh, was lost because uh, people that couldn't understand what was going on. Yeah, that magic one hour. Yeah, you have that, and so uh, I don't know how you how you you train people to be able to recognize that, but you know that that's too bad. Uh, but what he's been doing is he's been getting scuba diving. Uh, they were doing it as physical therapy. He says, I'm using muscles I haven't used before. Uh, he participated in therapy sessions where veterans who are amputees as a result of war said the therapy was recommended to by a hospital. Even after two years, I have a lot of problems with my walking. Before I did scuba diving, I used to have to wear a brace 
on my foot to support it. Now I don't have to wear a brace anymore because I can use my ankle. Uh, Wagner scuba therapy has given him more freedom of movement, not by having gravity as an enemy anymore. Sounds like it works for him, which is great. It's excellent. I just there's so much that you can do with it. Water is uh, just just being neutrally buoyant. I mean, we we all love the diving and just the power. I mean, that's what that's what got got me into diving was that that ability to float. I felt like I was a superhero that you can drop in there and it's like you're flying. So that and the resistance in the water and uh, it, it can be therapeutic. I mean, I, I'm I'm convinced I will live longer by scuba diving. Yeah, you know, that's my that's my medical claim. The interesting part about this is uh, I just got the American Legion magazine this week. One of the articles in it was similar to what we had talked about last week is uh, oxygen therapy in a hyperbaric chamber. And uh, they are actually using it now over periods of years to help minimize uh, traumatic stress syndrome, post-traumatic stress syndrome and other issues. I, I think the chat room is trying to distract me. I'm, I'm seeing them in there. Uh, they're talking about dry suits, which we'll we'll cover here in a little bit of a, of a section. But yeah, I agree with you, Mac. That 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 dive therapy is is such a great great thing. You were you mentioned a moment ago. How do you tell the difference between being inebriated and a person having a stroke? Yes. One one way to do that is have the person look at you and tell them to smile. Generally, they can't. Or if they do it on one side of their face, that's normally. A very, very good indication they have a cerebral issue. And that's why as a diver, you have to be careful when you're doing your initial patient survey of a diver because some of the symptoms that you get from being um, got a got a gas bubble, which means you're embolizing, mm-hmm. can be the same as for a stroke. And you know what those are, correct? Or oh, yeah. Not? Okay. It's like sudden weakness or numbness of the face, limbs, especially on one side of the body. Uh Confusion, trouble speaking, difficulty understanding certain verbiage. Uh, you can't see out of one eye or the other one. So those are the items you got to be aware of. If you got that coming up from diving, you just don't want to sit around waiting to see if it gets better. That's a medical issue you need to have resolved. Well, we've got Tara or Tara. I'm going to say Tara. That's me mispronouncing Tara in the chat room is saying that, that she has seen scuba diving work well for MS sufferers. Yes. She's trained a few and worked with a few of them in New Zealand. The reduction of stress on the sheath around the spinal cord, which makes a lot of sense to me. I, I go to a chiropractor and I want to say, and I'm not here to sell people on, on going to chiropractors, but I was the biggest skeptic on that. And I started going to a chiropractor probably, oh, about nine, ten months ago. And I didn't go because I felt bad. I, I went because my wife and kids had been going and they were telling me how much better they felt. And I went and I didn't realize that I felt bad. I don't know how to explain it, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, it's a, what your spine does for you and your spinal cord and nervous tissue, uh, nervous tissue, uh, that tissue around it and how it can inflame just what that can happen to you. And, you know, releasing the, relieving that, how the benefits are amazing. Okay, now we're to the uh, the underwater tornado. Scuba diver survives an underwater tornado. Before the uh, before we got started in the show this week, uh, we were talking in the chat room with that, and uh, there's some video that Mac putting in. Again, if you head on over to the show notes uh, this weekend, we'll have those posted up. And there's some great video and shots on it. Uh, but there's this, in this article, they had scuba divers survive an underwater tornado. And this is from uh, California. And they say, if not for their experience, the group of a half dozen seasoned divers might not have lived to tell the tale. 
They uh, encountered on Wednesday an underwater tornado. Excuse me. In the waters off uh, La Jolla shores, that nearly swept them in the deep water and almost prevented them from surfacing. Neptune had an attitude this morning, says Virginia Halter. One of the six divers is doing underwater photography along a canyon when they are gripped by a phenomenon they'll never forget. It was beautifully decent, crystal clear, gorgeous. Then about 20 minutes into it, the current pushed me into one of the other divers. I looked up and saw something I'd never seen before. It looked like an underwater tornado with sand and water swirling and coming towards us. She said it visibly worsened immediately and westerly current threatened to shoot them seaward. I thought, no way was I staying down here. I'm no longer comfortable in my element, so I'm going to return home. I got It got my attention. I was scared. A certified instructor, she had never experienced anything like this effect in her 511 previous dives. It came on so sudden that it was so bizarre about it. I was thinking, earthquake, this has to be receding for a tsunami. It was that unusual. It was really strange. <laughs> La Hala, is, I guess, is what I should be saying, Mac. Ah. Somebody's pronouncing me. Ah, those, those words. Everybody was safe. If it hadn't been less experienced, the outcome could have been a lot different, a lot more tragic. Uh, she learned later that day that Scripps Institute of Oceanography officially surmised what had overcome the group was a rare underwater movement when a circular pattern that came down from hundreds of miles away that made its way up the coast and swirls with impressive force. Following the incident, which occurred about 7.30 a.m., lifeguards are warming scuba divers to take extra caution. <clears throat> now they're telling me it's Spanish, a J is an H. Well, they need to have that. They need to tell us when those words are that way. I like my, my mid Midwestern Indian words. <laughs> well, it looked like it was interesting. They said it lasted, what, about 11 minutes, and they were between 75 and 80 feet down, so it's not something you're going to suddenly dart to the surface. True. I think I'd, uh, like you said, honkered down, held on to something, and say, what the hell is going on? Because obviously you're not going to swim through it. Well, that would be my thought, is that you either go to the bottom or you go to the top. Up. And as long as you've got air and, and something, that's about all you can do. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, at first when I read about this, I know on the East Coast, you sometimes get these tidal currents in some structures where you got uh, valleys along the bottom and you got the tide coming out and the tide coming in and they'll get kind of these whirlpools going. So that's what I thought when they said underwater tornado. But this yeah. seems to be something quite different. Well, I know that you can get, I mean, you take a look at some of the boats and the currents that can come up because of hurricanes and all this, that when you can snap a boat in half and move one couple hundred yards away, you're talking time, heavy duty force. I can't imagine what would be if you're down there and had a tsunami come rolling through. That'd oh. be quite interesting. It'd be interesting. My, my thought is you might be better to be on the outside, but I don't know. I mean, once that tsunami comes in shore and rips all that muck and surface off, it, it's got to be crazy at that point. Yeah, someplace I don't want to be. Yeah, I, I think there's much better places to be on those days. But it also makes me think of one other item which can happen around here. If I'm out there in Pawpaw Lake, how deep do I have to be if a water spout, i.e. tornado, comes across and hits the lake and goes across it? So how much water does that little suck up? And I mean, how deep do I have to be? I've not seen any information on that. Uh, and this next one we were talking about again before the show, the creepy underwater ice tornado that kills everything it touches yeah i like that topic too. <laughs> i i, I so, think i think that was just to get you riled mac they wanted to come up with a title that would make you want to hunt them down yeah barnum and bailey would like that 
<laughs> well, th- this was uh, where I picked it up was from Gizmodo, but the video was recorded by the BBC, and it's part of a series uh, on the television, which I think was, uh, oh, well, they say it here is in the Frozen Planet. Okay. Yeah, Frozen Planet, a documentary series filmed, and it's going to be for BBC One. And that's coming up here in the next few days. Uh, and it's narrated by David Attenborough, which I just love to hear his voice. Uh, and, and what makes me mad, if, if everybody who watches it in the BBC, when it comes to the U.S., they're going to redub it. They're going to take off David Attenborough's voice, and they're going to give somebody like Oprah Winfrey and have them narrate it. And I think that should be a crime. I think it should be illegal <laughs> to take David Attenborough's voice and replace it with Oprah's. Nothing against Oprah, but... I keep expecting her to go to stop and say, and you get a car and you get a car. I, <laughs> I, I just don't know why, you know, some of these people, they're so associated with a certain, uh, experience and then they yeah. want to narrate, uh, documentaries. Another one is Sigourney Weaver. I just, you know, I keep, you know, go hunt an alien, let David Attenborough nav- uh, narrate these. Uh, but this, uh, video back, back to the article, uh, uh, now that I'm done with my, my tirade, uh, they call this a brinicle. Yeah. Which, if you watch the video at the beginning of the article, uh, you can see it's kind of like a brine tube where you've got really dense, cold salt water at the surface that's getting cold and it's getting heavy and it's got to sink down somehow. So like you had pointed out earlier, Mac, it's got to be shallow. And when it's shallow, I'm, I'm having a hard time guessing. I'm, I'm going to say, well, is this maybe two, three meters maybe deep? Looking at that one pictorial, yeah. With, with little or no current. And then you get kind of this ice tube forming where the water is super cooled and it comes from the surface and it's dropping down and it touches the bottom and it starts freezing. And basically, if you get in the middle of it freezing, you're going to get frozen and die. But it's not like it's this vicious ice hand of God that's smiting people. It's an ice tube that comes down and it freezes the bottom. So they show some starfish who are unfortunate and some who really aren't that bright. I don't know what the intelligence of a starfish is, but uh, they survive and then they crawl right back over the top of the ice and then they get frozen. So, Well, the interesting part, too, was the size. It wasn't very large uh, and it took how many hours for it to form? It was multiple hours. hours. So yeah. five to six hours. So it's like, if we see it, I think we're smarter than the starfish. Move <laughs> away from the ice. Yeah, I, I think us as ice divers are not going to have to worry about these brinicles coming and grabbing us. Yeah, and if you went up on the Whitaka, that comes up as a underwater stalactite, I believe it was. Yes. Like, sort of slow. Not like the ones, the hazard we have here of you have your ice stalactites off your roof and you walk under and they fall and puncture your body and kill you. Yeah, these are a little different than those. Yeah. You know, if if you're likely to get mauled by zombies that are walking one mile an hour, then you're going to get captured by these ice flows. But I'm just curious, how many other people out there like the way these advertisers create interest in making some outlandish title yeah well it's it's all uh, search engine optimization and uh new, news stories to get uh people to pick it up it worked i read it well yeah it just told me though that you can't believe anything you read <laughs> and that all the freaking news people are liars isn't well, that what it says to you yeah well what, you, what people need to do if you're listening to our podcast you also need to listen to diver sync rich had something earlier this week where he was talking about quotes and uh, the one where he attributed it to Abraham Lincoln, uh, uh-huh. something about the Internet I thought was great. So, uh, yeah, it, it's exactly the same thing. 
Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, but that's you got to watch that video. It's a good one. When that show comes on, it's going to be in the U.S. I looked it up. It's going to be they saying early 2012. So I'm going to picture April May time frame, and that's going to be on the Discovery Channel and the Science Channel. How would you like to bend the diver down there, just looking at it and going by an actual sort of kicking it, making a little current with your fin and making it stop? I think they'd have been pissed at you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I also noticed is that they threw the, the cameras down there, so they, they weren't wait, waiting around for it to grow. They were throwing that stuff, uh, that, that gear down there, and they went in and probably had a drink and uh, a nap. Well, you see the tripod setups? Nice yeah. setup. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the the BBC, and they, and they sponsor that. We've got some uh, friends of the show, uh, was it Silvertip uh, Expeditions, who do a lot of this type of work. They help put these things together. And those guys are amazing. So there's a lot of these underwater videographers and photographers who are just absolutely amazing in what they're able to do and what they're able to capture. Uh, I would love to get a chance to go on a dive with them. And you can, if you want to pay money, they put on these expeditions where, you know, you can be a a grip or a roadie (laughs) or whatever and uh, help them out for, you know, small fee of two to $20,000 will get you in. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that next week. (laughs) If if I if I was Paul Allen Rich, you know I'd be doing that. If I had twenty thousand dollars to blow like that, I'd be down there in the Caribbean. Oh no, yeah, a month or yeah, two. It's like they say the lottery. That's why I don't play the lottery. One hundred forty million dollars isn't enough for me. <laughs> I need like one point two billion. Yeah. Okay. That's what I need. You know, millions too small now. No, I I, I really don't want to win win anything like that because I'd get myself in so much trouble. <laughs> Oh, that'd be the fun. Next up is, uh, if anybody's been watching the Philippines, oh my gosh, they've been having some rain. We think we get it wet from time to time. They've had rain that just won't stop, and it's impacting them. They've been having flooding. I'm in the computer industry, and we've been having a hard time with uh, with computer prices, hard drives. A lot of hard drive manufacturers have factories in Thailand, and uh, even if it hasn't hit the particular factory, it's hitting the supply chain. There's uh, rare earth magnets that are being manufactured. There's drive parts, springs. And it's even, I know, don't be too shocked, it's even hit the tennis shoe industry. Uh, and in this particular article we have coming up here, shoe molds and scuba divers, uh, there was a shoe company who even though uh, they were unable to make shoes, they had a backup factory who's going to continue production. The problem was they did not have the molds for the tennis shoes. What they had to do was find scuba divers to go into the flooded factory, which is about three meters deep and flooding, and have them go and grab the shoe, the molds for the tennis shoes so production could continue. So if you're looking for a career in scuba diving, recovering artifacts from uh, flooded factories is now another item on your list of things that you could be doing. Did I say floppy drives? I yes. hope I didn't. Did I? Oh, I don't know. It said floppy that... drives in there also. Oh, did it? Floppy under... drives? Who who uses a floppy drive anymore? I thought I was dating myself. My kids don't even know what floppy drives are. Well, when I first read that, I said shoe mold, and I'm thinking the other kind of mold, like you get on your bread when you leave in the cupboard for three months. Oh, <laughs> you mean. I thinking, what you... the hell shoe molds got to do with divers? <laughs> I mean, I, I know I try to wash out my uh, neoprene socks once in a while, but then you will get something. But that's what I thought it was until I read the you know details, and it's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Careful what you read. <laughs> Well, to even date myself earlier, my first computer didn't have floppy drives. It had a tape drive. So that takes you a few. It was a pre well, floppy drives existed. It just, there were $2,000 for an eight inch floppy. So 
My first hard drive, I had already been doing computers for five or six years, and it was 10 megabytes. So not yeah, really my feeling first old. One was way down there. I think the <laughs> Commodore 64, I don't remember what it had. Uh, Commodore 64, they did have, I did have a friend, well, you had to get to VIC-20. Here's the, we're going to go into the computer podcast now. You had a VIC-20, those had uh, some some tape drives, and then they started off with a floppy drive. But the Commodore 64, I believe they had the floppy drives right away. And then went the Commodore 128. But Oh, yeah, yeah Dive Mistress, I've got an 8-inch floppy in my office. Whenever I get a new uh, uh, intern or a higher end, which I'll be getting another one here in a couple weeks, what I like to do is hand that to them and tell them they need to offload that database onto the mainframe and see uh, what they do. Oh, that's cruel. That's cruel. <laughs> the last one, he went, oh, yes, sir, I'll go do that right away. And I just he, he didn't even phase him for a second. Yeah, I guess I'm not the only one. There's Some some of us old timers are also in the chat room talking about some of this computer stuff. And that rotates right into Startup Transport 12 browsers. Yes, this one was, uh, I thought this would be a cool idea. You know, like I don't have enough things to do, but I thought this was interesting. It wasn't exactly the story I thought about. What this is is uh, somebody who had had a history of making video games uh, decided he wanted to get into uh, underwater, like virtual reality. So what he's been doing is he's been creating uh, with a small organization. It's not an online game or animated movie. Not a social media site. It's an interactive online world that combines elements of all three media media to create what designers proclaim is a new form of entertainment and a potentially lucrative business. His startup is Wemo Media, which he spent the last two years developing the web application named The Blue, which has been a test phase for several months but officially debuted last week. It is the first of several entertainment projects the company hopes Artists will collaborate on that harness the global reach and interactivity of the web. Unlike our traditional studio, uh, it essentially functions as a virtual studio where the animators, computer programmers aren't housed in traditional brick-and-mortar beating uh, uh, building. He says the next Pixar is not going to be in the Bay Area or L.A. It's going to be online studio that creative artists around the world can walk into every day through their browser wherever they are. Although Hollywood in recent years has been used to reach a vast internet to distribute its content, he believes that The Blue is going one step further by treating the web as an artistic medium of its own right. The unusual projects is supporting some big names in the industry, um, you know, including the animation director of Avatar, uh, uh, the doc, uh, one of the directors of the documentary The Cove, which was the uh, video on the slaughtering of dolphins, and director of Massachusetts Technology Media Lab, the largest team I've had was probably on avatar worked with 100 animators but the blue is possibly work with thousands tens of thousands of artists around the world uh he plans to build a hundred million dollar business from the blue and upcoming projects uh so what they're doing is they're making virtual creations like to take the artwork solid uh he's an avid diver and he's drawn from the ocean uh for his first project was his partner co-founder two men together are a software company so what they're doing is they're basically digitizing the underwater world in this first project they got some money supporting them they do but to me it just seems cool not only from uh the virtualization of business which i think is definitely the trend to go uh but also into the uh just the what they're doing with the animation working with the underwater topic so absolutely love it now i can see you doing the next item though radio presenter splashes World record for underwater broadcast. 
Is that a challenge? Do we need to do that? I, well, you know, you like to do various items, and that looks to be right up your alley. I'm looking <laughs> at the pictorial, you know. You would actually fit in that dome underwater. I, what I'd ask you to do, though, is do it down about 15 or 20 feet, though, not in a pool like this, so we can get that Donald Duck effect. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I wonder what I'd have to do. I need to read up on that to see what it takes, because they say radio broadcast, which to me is old school, but... The radio presenter splashed a world record in underwater broadcast. Uh, he, the station, which is the Wave 105, uh, he spent five hours, six minutes underwater interviewing a host of guests, in, including Andrax Diving Center director Annie Goddard. Uh, he started his show at 11 a.m. to raise money for the radio fundraising scheme Cash for Kids, and he surfaced just after 4 p.m. He had. I, I uh, don't know if we could get the support, though. Some of the interviewees that they did was Dr. John Beaven. Oh, yeah. Sky to dive to 1,000 feet. And then you've got, what, the Gosport Diving Museum, Phil Harding from Time Team, and the Polar Explorer, uh, Paul Rose. So I had some heavy horsepower back there to interview. Yeah, he, he had to, you would have to line something like that up. But if, if it's for a good cause, I think you can get it. But you know, I'm not really into it to do a world record. But, you know, publicity wouldn't hurt, would it? <laughs> No, and do you realize he wasn't really a diver? Did you realize that? No, I didn't really Simon pick up on that. He his, his fear earlier this year by taking swimming lessons. Said, wow. So that appears to me he wasn't a diver. Well, what it is 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 you've, you've come across these you know, where they're either not a record before, so somebody goes and, and does it, or somebody looks and says, you know, he, he's got a, maybe he has a, he's got a buddy who's a diver and looked at that record and said, you know what? I can teach anybody in the world to stay underwater for five and five hours, six minutes. If you can talk that long. So, you know, the underwater part isn't the tough part. And I don't even think the talking part is a tough part. It's just one of those records that people probably hadn't really taken too much of a serious attempt at. Well, you know, you could have taken your laptop in there and you could have done a podcast down there. I'm just looking at the dome you used. Mm -hmm. You know, you could waterproof it, put up there in the bubble, have a little floating platform to put that on, power cable up to the surface and uh, antenna up. You well, could we, we could use your computer. Yeah, we could do all sorts of stuff. You could have a feed coming in. You could have people calling in Skype. So, hey, Rich, take care. Rich is jumping out of the chat room. So, uh, yeah, don't don't hurt himself jumping there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we could do that. That wouldn't take too long. Yeah, somebody's saying we should do this in Trimix. That's what I'm saying. The the voice overs would be great. They sound like bunchkins. Yeah. Uh, always, whenever I hear that, whenever I hear you talk about that, it reminds me of when we did the chamber dive. Yeah. And uh, you know, Richard just doing the yellow big road, which my kids are watching right now. So. Okay, this next one I thought was kind of interesting. We've, we've had a few articles uh, going on down there in Texas. Everything's always bigger in Texas except for the water. They've been having a, everything's drying out. Uh, earlier in the season, we had the article where they had the NASA objects were becoming to the surface. Now we have a de depleted Texas lake exposes a ghost town, including graves. The gravestone they have in the picture was Johnny C. Parks tied due to... T died two days before his first birthday more than a century ago. The grave slipped from sight along with the rest of tiny town when it was filled 55 years later. Now a crack in the marble two-stone engraved with a date, October 15, 1882, is normally covered by 20 to 30 feet of water, has been eerily exposed by a year-long drought that has shrunk one of Texas' largest lakes. 
across the strait. The state receding lakes have been revealed to prehistoric skulls, ancient tools, fossils, a small cemetery uh, that contains the graves of freed slaves. In fact, they, this uh, has attracted interest of local historians, and looters have scavenged pieces of history. More than two dozen losers have been arrested just at one site. In an odd way, the drought has provided an opportunity to view and document where appropriate some of these finds and understood where they can they consist from. To me, this would be exciting as a diver because now you can scout out where everything will be when it, it goes and fills back up. Yeah, then nobody can see when you're looting. Well, that wasn't my point. <laughs> but at least you could I – mean, I always like to have stuff to dive on. I mean, if you took some of our lakes and you drained them down 12, 15 feet, it'd be interesting to see what was down there. Because I think a lot of our stuff people consider junk, and they probably pick it up and throw it away. A lot of people consider what we're looking at as junk. Oh, some of this stuff's great. Uh, but Texas, they've had the 12 driest months ever with an, with a, uh, with an average of 8.5 inches of rain nearly 13 inches below normal. So about one third of the rain they've been uh, normally receiving. Uh, the region's lakes, many of which are man-made, have dropped more than a dozen feet in many cases. Didn't we talk about this last week also, where we were looking at some pictorials? Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Do you realize this is part of that same lake that we looked at last week? No, I didn't I didn't get that. I'm looking at this, and I remember the tombstone. Uh, the last week had those pictures of that... Uh, the cabin that was made of rock and uh, boulders, this is in the same spot. Oh, same area. Yeah. Just a different take on it. Well, you you consider since that used to be 31 miles long and five miles wide, and it ain't no more. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of water that's evaporated. What makes me wonder is how much rain do they need? I mean, they're down so far. How many years of rain will it take to actually fill this back up, if ever? I was going to say, I guess ever. So... They've, they probably got to be looking at some other options for water in yeah. many of these places. I'm sure these reservoirs were there for to pool drinking water and irrigation. Well, I'm sure we can loan them some from the Great Lakes, right? Oh, don't even get me going on that. It gets me worked up whenever I see them saying, oh, the Great Lakes have plenty. Let's go ahead and drain it. I have no doubt that if everybody wanted water from the Great Lakes, we could drain the Great Lakes in 20 years. There'd be nothing but a little stream. Yeah. So... Well, let's get away from talking about ghost towns and graves. Let's get into treasure. Here we go. The Guatemalans revealed... That's grave robbing, too, though. Shh, don't tell anybody. Okay. Uh, The Guatemalans revealed treasures from underwater Mayan ruins. The the difference, Mac, is these are archaeologists. Well, that's true. They can rob and pillage, but we can't. (laughs) I'm sorry. Forget I said that. (laughs) So this is archaeologists in Guatemala have retrieved artifacts from an ancient Mayan ruin submerged... Uh, Lake Atitlan, the officials estimate, could be more than 2,000 years old. Uh, the divers were exploring underwater ceremony site. Uh, they found remarkable pottery pieces intact with detailed carvings, colors still evident despite artifacts thousands of years at the bottom of the Latin America's deepest lake. We have found pieces dating back to 200 to 300 B.C. and 380, different types of incense burners that are one and a half meters tall, four incredible cardinal points, we're still asking questions about how these items could have been preserved for 2,000 to 2,200 years in the lake until now and still retain the texture that you can appreciate. Now the pottery pieces are housed, and I'm not even pronouncing that. I'm going on. Researchers believe the artifacts, the artifacts were housed in the island until a catastrophic event like a volcano or a landslide and raised the water levels and drowned the ancient site. Investigations are still taking place. The location is a closely guarded secret since archaeologists 
want to protect it from looters who fish the ruins for artifacts to be sold, sometimes for thousands of dollars in the black market. Well, then I don't think I should give you the next link to that site that shows you where they're at. Well, that's kind of the 340 meters deep. If you want to go that deep with your dredge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, yeah, they always say they don't want to put the site out there, but you know, pretty though it is. It's some nice stuff. I love to, to see those artifacts. You know, again, when you talk about being an expedition, that would be fun to go and look at. I just love all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, wide angle picture of it. It looks, it's a large, large area. So you would have to know a little more particulars about where at their ceremonial site was, but uh, that really looks like an interesting place. I, I looked at it on the Whitaker page and just put in the, the lake itself. Bingo. The aerial photo is very interesting. Nice place. Yeah. And then somebody in the chat room said at 340 meters deep makes you wonder what the altitude is. I mean, that's a good point. And Absolutely. You're not, you're not diving with normal diving tables there. Now that's when you got your mini sub now. <laughs> well, who knows? They might. Oh, well, it makes sense. You know, you can, they're not too much bigger than cars or big trucks. You could haul that in. Sure. And then some more shipwreck discovery of an arc. The Anchorage scuba divers unearthed shipwrecks in Alaska's waters. So this is, they're looking at wrecks that were uh, sunk between 1910 and 1920. An average of one ship per month ran aground along the waters surrounding Alaska. Although unfortunate for captains and crews, the wrecks are a great playground for scuba divers decades later. Uh, Lloyd... Uh, Steve Lloyd, an Anchorage-based scuba diver, says, I've always been fascinated by ghost towns, shipwrecks, abandoned factories, and anything with a hidden story that somehow is tied to the past. Uh, some of the wrecks he's been diving on, one is a, sh- is a lifeboat that carried 38 survivors that were constructed tents from, the, uh, from a ship, the SS Fallon, which ran aground the Cook Inland about 1910. Uh, he talks about some of the uh, different things, but just... I would love to go. I mean, I just love all sorts of these these shipwreck dives. I think and the last big item I saw there up in Alaska was, uh, I think it was last year, they actually found the remnants of uh, one of our missing uh, submarines from World War II. Yes. So that's an excellent article you, you, you need to go and read. Uh, we'll, again, we'll have links to that one in the show notes. Well, most people don't realize uh, you actually had wars up there. Uh, we actually fought the Japanese in Alaska. There's also parts of the Confederacy and Army soldiers there back in 1887 or 1867. A lot of history up there. Yes. We could go there too, but I think I want my dry suit. Yeah. Well, I got my uncle there. I'm sure we can find a place to go and uh, we could, I mean, he's got a boat. He's got a fishing charter boat. So maybe we need to go go look for gold, man. I want to go looking for gold. I don't know if if on his island they're doing gold panning, but there's a lot of that too. I mean, Alaska's got to be small. I mean, it only looks like that little bitty thing with a few (laughs) islands on it. How big can it be? Yeah, yeah. A state that's the size of half the U.S. I always love that when they lay the uh, Alaska over the United States and you just go, holy crap, how big that place is. Yeah, I'm glad it's ours. That was, a matter of fact, an article on uh, Alaska as a side note the other day. It's interesting to note that the Soviets have, I think, got 10,000 soldiers up there. I think it's like three divisions. Uh, they're having, uh, basically call them their ice soldiers uh, because of the lower temperatures and the ice not being as thick to the bearing area. Uh, they can traverse from Asia to Europe, and it's 4,000 miles shorter. So Alaska's uh, Alaska. The Soviet Union is... Um, Desiring to 
protect their interest in both the fishing and the resources in those areas and putting their troops there to ensure that happens. You're referring to Russia when you say Soviet Union. Correct. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually, again, in my publishing computer career, I typeset a book for a major white, and he was stationed in Alaska after World War II. And what his job there was to do was to figure out how to navigate over the North Pole for potential war with Russia or the Soviet Union at the time. And his experience was doing photo reconnaissance surveys over the jungles uh, for rubber because they were trying to take photographs and map out all the rubber because the rubber is considered critical for the war effort. So then after the, the war was over, he was stationed at Point Barrow, Alaska. And all the effort they had to do to figure out how to survive in negative 30 to negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit and what they had to do. Uh, the different chemicals they had to put in the crankcases. Uh, the soldiers would sleep inside the sleeping bags with their guns because if they kept them outside when they fired them, the barrels would shatter. Uh, uh, all your vehicles, would, you would run at an idle, and even then sometimes they would seize. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot to that part of the world, which it's very harsh, and it takes a special skill to be able to survive. But you're absolutely correct that you know going over the North Pole is a lot quicker than going around. Yeah. Well, one of those side notes that we're talking about was back in the old days, 60s, 70s, uh, we were concerned with the Soviet intrusion. We had the dew line and all of that for the locating any bombers that would come across, you know, mm-hmm. early warning devices. They said in the last six years, meaning 2005 till now, they've had almost 400 times as many intrusions in that area of Soviet aircraft intruding on American airspace. I'm not surprised. I mean, you figure the proximity, how close it is. You know, it's a good way of testing. And even if it is discovered, how many people are not going to be too excited because they're going to say, what about polar bear? But, uh, you know, my my dad was in the Navy and they were that type of thing all the time. You know, penetrating each other's territorial waters to see how they'd react and learn. Uh, I don't think we learn too much sometime, but now we're getting political. But let's get back to you. <laughs> So this next article that we got coming out that's non-political, at least before we get into it, is a Milwaukee divers are searching for missing shipwrecks in Lake Michigan. And this is a friend of the show, Jitka. Uh, and she's over there out of Milwaukee. She's got the Molly V that she charters on if you ever want to go and take a tour with her. But it uh, looks like she's upgraded her sonar equipment this year. It and she's like a, it. And, and she's the one we, we talked about couple of months ago too oh yeah she's been dis- discovering wrecks she's got a few of them every year she ends up with a couple she's expecting to have three a year going on now with this new equipment she has uh there are about 2500 shipwrecks in lake michigan about a thousand of them are missing and actually I, my personal opinion i think they're light by about a factor of 10 the great lakes in the 1900s or freeway system of that era so if you look at our highways now and you see all the semis we had the equivalent of ships hauling freight, doing the same thing. And all it takes is one nasty storm, and you get 20 that go down. Well, that's the other reason. They used to be called coastal or coasties because before the radar, and then at radar and radio, they didn't like to go too far offshore, so when something blew up, they could get to shore and at least ground the boat. Yeah, but you That's why so many were sunk within 8 to 10 miles of shore. Yeah. Well, you, you know, like from us, from St. Joe to Chicago— I mean, yeah. you feel like you're close to shore because you really, the whole time across, 
you know, you can start off seeing St. Joe. By the time you're about halfway across, you're seeing Michigan City. And then when you get all the way across, you're in Chicago. And we're, but we're seeing high objects they didn't have then. Like the, the cooling tower there in Michigan City is what you spot. Yeah. But still, you're talking, you can see something 20, 25 miles away. Easy. Yeah. Yep. I sure wouldn't want to swim the shore from five miles out. Oh, no. <laughs> in this kind of temperature? I don't think so. Oh, no. You, you wouldn't make it this time of year. Yeah. In fact, when you read all the shipwreck books, that's what they always talk about. It was always that one last. Yeah. One for the year, you know, they've, you know, they, they've done the smart thing. They've sent all their crew packing. They say we're done. And that guy comes that big bucket of money and says, Hey, I need this to get over and I can't wait till spring. Yep. Chakora is a prime example. Exactly. So you take a vessel that normally has a crew of 12 to 15 and you do it with a crew of six to eight and all sorts of things go wrong. But Jitka, she's got, she's upgraded her equipment. Uh, she's got this, uh, uh, new, sonar technology so she's expecting three wrecks a year just a matter of getting out there yep and they're currently looking for a one called the wilds alice c wilds a lumber steamer missing since 1892 i'm gonna bet that's not still floating (laughs) (laughs) i'd hazard a guess you're correct so but uh jit because she does some amazing diving over there especially if you're a technical or a rebreather diver excellent 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 and then this leads us into one of the Mud Club's very own, Jim Schultz is going to have an announcement, I understand, coming up this weekend. I believe that is correct. Have you heard that rumor, too? Yes, I have. So uh, if you happen to be in the west side of Michigan, up around South Haven, Jim Schultz is going to be announcing a shipwreck that, that is believed to be in the southwest part of the lake. So I'm I'm going to try and make it up there Sunday so we can hear what Jim has to say, as if we don't uh, know what that's up at the Maritime Museum, and that's what, Sunday the 27th. Yeah, yeah, 2011. So if you're listening a couple of years from now, it's probably old news. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there'll be a little bit of hint. And we're hoping to get Jim on, Jim Schultz on. I bet we're going to be able to get him on. Uh, if not next week, maybe the week after. We'll find out what works on his schedule. We'd like to have him come on and, and talk about it. <clears throat> now, do they have the link there for the uh... – South Haven Museum, because that is a nice picture. And if they get up there and look at the Friends Goodwill, that's a really great opportunity to look at a, a old ship with the old technology that's still sailing. So when you're down there looking at one of the same vintage, it'll give you a perspective you don't necessarily have. I mean, you can really see what dead eyes and rigging and turnbuckles and uh, windlass looks like on an old ship. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, that's an excellent way. Uh, and and I, I've never been on the Friends Goodwill, so maybe that will be something I'll do this Sunday. Isn't that one of the options we have with going up and visiting and seeing that? Um, not now because uh, that's put away for the winter. Well, they got a carport or something for it? <laughs> no, I was up there last actually last week, and uh, I looked around to see where it was at, and all the boats are put away. So I'm not sure where they put it uh. or how they rig it for the winter. I just did not normally see what I normally see when I'm up there. Yeah. Every time I see that vessel, I keep thinking, well, how great that would look underwater. <laughs> <laughs> you sick puppy. You. <laughs> maybe we need to do a, an authentic recreation Mac of maybe a civil war era, uh, <laughs> sabotage, you know, no, big... he's got a cannon on board, you know, that functions. So, Oh, okay. If well, they I'm see thinking... us coming, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know, we get one of those little reed straws and, you know, get over there and, you know, a big auger bit <laughs> from underneath. Could... 
I think I'd use Bob's rebreather. Don't want to give him those bubbles. You don't want to give him bubbles as a sign to shoot down. (laughs) But we got to do it while it's out to sea. If it if it just sinks right there in the river, they're going to refloat it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that friend's goodwill. They're in the chat room. They're saying how great that look, and that is an impressive vessel. Uh, From my understand is it's not based on any particular one vessel, but a combination of building techniques that were typical for the time that that ship is is meant to recreate. And there's been many times, if you look at some of the scuba-obsessed photos on our posts, where you'll see Friends Goodwill in the background. So anytime we're out of South Haven, when we do the Ann Arbor 5, we do the barge and crane uh, in the background, you can sometimes catch a glimpse of the Friends Goodwill. And they sail it out. Don't they do some charters if you come on in? They do do sunset cruises, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really nice. Uh, and it's really neat to see that baby under sail out there. Yeah, it, it's a beautiful <laughs> vessel. Uh, before you make a trip up, you want to check the event of schedules because it's in demand for a lot of, uh, I don't know, not seminars, but festivals throughout the Great Lakes. Whenever they have a tall ship festival, they're, they're one of the primary vessels that people want to, to have there. Just very well maintained. Uh, Jim Schultz and his son have done a lot of work on that Friends Goodwill and them and a lot of volunteers put a lot of time into making that uh, resource for us in this community. So we'll we'll have a we'll have an update on the Friends Goodwill next week. Not Friends Goodwill. Why am I saying that? On uh, the his announcement next week. Got in a tangent. And then the video of the week is if you didn't watch all those other videos and enjoy them, it's going to be most of them are videos. But have you ever wanted to know what happens when you crack an egg at a hundred feet? Well, now you know. <laughs> Did you happen to take a look at this video, Mac? I'm taking a look at it even as we speak. I, and I, the video is kind of hard to follow, but it's there. It's you know they they crack the egg, and uh-huh. it just doesn't to me doesn't look like it changes. I was just reading that. That's pretty deep too. Yeah, they were deep pretty down deep. there. Well, at, at first I thought it was a typo. You know that somehow in the translation it was wrong. Uh huh. But when I went and double-checked, I, I determined that they were actually correct on what they were doing. Because they show you at one spot uh, the gentleman's dive computer, and I, I couldn't tell if it said feet or an M for meters. So I thought it might have just been a, you know, somebody had their, their gauge on English or U.S. standards, and the, the author was looking at it in meters. But after slowly going frame by frame, I'm able to determine that that is meters. They obviously didn't break the egg with a hammer. No, 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 they didn't flatten it, but uh, it it maintained its shape, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. You've got that pressure pushing from all around, but the the, the egg does seem quite large for being broke, doesn't it? Yeah, I was looking at the secondary picture, and actually looks more round than it does uh, oval anymore. Well, and that, and that would make sense. Yes. You know that the water pressure would then equalize it even more than it had in an egg shape, but. Uh, those fish love it. <laughs> I, bet. I bet it's a lot harder to cook down there, though. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to keep the the fire going. So that does it for the news. We do have, you know, I say it does it for the news, but we do have a couple more links that we're going to share. One is potentially cool scuba gear. This is some of the stuff now that Deem is over with that we have coming back in. This is a product, and I can't find any actual details on it, but I thought it was cool nonetheless just to take a look at. But it is called the Scuba Capsule. It's a dive housing and software for using an iPhone as a dive computer. Wow. 
So I'm I'm tempted. I don't say I will, but I'm tempted to take a look at one of these because I've you know I I, I love I love my iPhone for using as a camera and uh in a video shot and actually do as a dive computer could be kind of neat if it actually worked worth the darn. Yep. But, I uh, know that uh, over at Wolf's they're getting some new packaging in that allows you to take certain items of equipment such as that underwater with you. Yeah, and I that, saw that in the, on the pegboard deck back there behind the counter. I was taking a peek at it. I didn't think the price was actually that bad either. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see when he gets some in there. But what I like, did you look at the bottom of the page where they showed the scuba mule? Yes. <laughs> well, I saw one the other day, and I meant to, to send you a note to. It's circular. It looks like a fan. It's one-third the size of the normal tow-sub we use, DPVs. Yes. And the battery is encompassed in the covering that goes circular. It is unique. It uses lithium batteries. Uh, two versions of it. One's about a 40-minute battery life, recharges in five hours. And the other one's 70-minute and recharges in five hours. But I need to look up some more details on it because it was much more compact that if you were going to take on vacation with you, you could take your DPV with you. And it's supposed to be more powerful, too. Very cool. I'll have to find that. That's a good link. I think the other guys might want to look at that one also. Exactly. So I did uh, paste that scuba capsule into the chat room so they can follow that along. And then while we were at the dive shop, now that you mentioned the dive shop, uh, one of the people at the dive shop went to DEMA that we, we tend to go to. Yep, Jeremy. Jeremy, he went to Dima, and Dima has actually released their numbers for this year, and it wasn't as bad or as good as I, I thought, <laughs> which I know is a contradiction, but uh, when you, it, it depends on which numbers you look at, whether it was good. Uh, again, you'll want to head over to the show notes because it's going to be kind of confusing to follow along with the table, but uh, for the last several years, they've been alternating between Orlando and Las Vegas every other year but uh, the total companies that were exhibiting this year were 553 and that is actually the lowest number of exhibiting companies but the total number of booths was 1220 which is the largest in the last three years in 2008 they had 1500 but since then it had really dropped off uh, attend registered attendees and exhibitors was less than last year but more than two years ago and uh you know still above from 2004 total exhibitors verified on site was 7937 uh which was very close to what we had 2009 but was down from last year which is what i was hearing i was hearing a lot of people just said the traffic was down it just didn't feel quite as packed uh verified attendees and buyers with no exhibitors in it was 3,597 down from 3,925. And that's what the people who are in attendance, you know, if you're a, if you're paying for a booth, that's what the number you want to see. So that was down. So overall, you're going to say that was not where you wanted to see it. Registered buyers was 1,872 versus 1,911. Uh, and it was even down from two years ago, which is 1,895. So the lowest, Number so far on uh, buyers, verified buyers. I don't know what's the difference between registered and verified. Uh, verified was 1,752, uh, which again was one of the lowest numbers in a long time since I've been recording that statistic. I wonder if their values would have gone up or numbers if you'd had. Uh, I mean, now these are people normally associated with the industry, uh, run dive shops and stuff like this, not the normal public, correct? Yes. No, normal public can't get into a DEMA show. 
You have to be in the dive industry. You have to be in travel, manufacturing, dive shop owner. Uh, there's rules. You can head to the DEMA website if you want to go in. Uh, you, know, be, you have to be a DEMA member, and you have to pay to get in. Uh, they do have a limited number of media credentials that they do issue out, but for the most part, it is you have to be a professional. They've voted on it They uh, many times to decide if they're going to let recreational people in. And to date, they haven't. Now, something that we broke a story a few weeks back is that DEMA is having a consumer show, and I think it's 2013. Uh, if you go to the Scuba Obsessed website and you go to the post 2013, I'm going to pull that up right now, uh, they're going to have a consumer show. It will take place August 26th to 28th, 2013 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So it's going to be in the April, and it's not the same time as DEMA is going on. So it's going to be a DEMA consumer show. So it's an additional show for uh, for DEMA. So make me wonder how many, what kind of attendance do you get at items like Our World Underwater, the equivalent that runs on the East Coast and West Coast, uh, Diver Showcase, uh, the ghost ships up there in uh, Wisconsin. Well, that's what I'm kind of puzzled about is. You've already got, I mean, I mean, the one thing coming from it, let, let's say I'm a, an equipment manufacturer and I've already got a load full of shows and now Dima's putting a show in 2013 for consumers. And that's probably why they got it a year and a half out, not next year, is I've now got a budget for that. I've got to get my crew out. I got to get my booth out, whatever. And I'm already going to Dima. Wouldn't it have made sense? And I've seen other industries do this where you make the last two days of the show consumer, why make your vendor or your manufacturer package everything up and come all the way back in? Do they not think consumers are interested in the dive show in November? And what I've heard before when asked why they don't have the DEMA as consumers is that they said the manufacturers and the other people the show don't want it to be. It's kind of like the, uh, the dive instructor who wants a fun dive without students. It's the same thing with, it's kind of, that's what DEMA is. You know, they don't want consumers there. Yeah, somebody in the chat room saying that's what DEMA, DEMA wasn't set up for that. DEMA is supposed to be for manufacturers and dealers and, and new stuff. I mean, I, I haven't been to DEMA. Uh, maybe I'll get there next year. Maybe I'll get there the year before and, and I'll have an idea and see how it differs from our world underwater. But you know what? I've been to industries much larger than diving. And I don't, you know, I, I think, I don't know if I buy that. I don't, I don't know if I buy that. It's a different show for you aim your audience a little bit different. I think if you knew you're going to have consumers there, you know, other than changing your handouts and maybe the people who are there, I don't think you, you change that much of the show. Now, the time well, of I, the year might be different. I think the price breaks you're going to give will be different between what you're going to be given to the businesses versus the, the normal consumers uh, because you'd be kicking yourself in the butt giving them the same price for something that you know the dealers got. Why would I buy from a dealer if I can get from the same price? And maybe well, one reason they don't. Well, but I, I'm, you know, when I when you go to our world underwater and you have the dive right booth there, they're quoting you like super list prices. They're not, they 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 want you to buy it from a local dealer or a local dive shop. So I mean that's something they can accomplish. I mean the you know when you've got a dealer there, yeah, you're trying to get him to do buying or become a dealer or something, but you can adjust that and you know do some show. Uh, in fact, I would think if you were a manufacturer and a dealer, you would want the show to be able to do that. But the the difference between that is also going to be I'm not you're not going to get somebody from let's say Minnesota who's a consumer 
you know, recreational diver, he's not going to pay to go all the way down to Dima just to go check out some gear. So, you know, you're, it's just the locals or people who happen to be down there for something else who are going to see it. So, yeah. uh, but you know, in the chat room, they're telling me if I want to go to Dima, I better do it soon. So I'm almost thinking that they're implying that Dima might not have a long lifespan if uh, these number these trends keep going on. But you know, I don't what like to. We don't. Yeah, well, the trade shows are are tough. I mean, if you let, let's go again back into my what pays my bills. You look at computers. We used to have Comdex. You know, it used to be a show that was huge beyond belief. It would take up half of Las Vegas, and that doesn't exist anymore because the manufacturers of equipment didn't find it cost effective to go there and spend money on it and the show couldn't support itself. So that's, it's more of a thing with trade shows in general than any particular industry. You can go online. It used to be like in, in, uh, in the, the printing and graphics industry, we have huge shows. We used to fill up all of McCormick place in Chicago and you could go and see full, you know, 40 unit web presses running newspapers right there in the show floor. And nobody brings any of that steel anymore. You know, you can, you can do, you can do all your search online. Why do you need to go and spend that kind of money with the tools we have today? Today, world is shrinking and they don't need that to be able to make contact. So the relevance of trade shows is what's different. If a trade show wants to exist, it has to be an experience. And I don't think it exists for the manufacturers or the retailers anymore. I think it exists for the consumers. If you're going to do a trade show, it's something to get people excited, which maybe that's why Dima's decided to come up with a consumer show in 2013. So for the sake of the dive industry, I hope whatever they're doing is going to work out. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a challenge. You know, anytime you do anything new with that, you're taking a risk. Yep. We shall see. Yep. In the chat room, they're also talking about A3, E3, which is an electronic show. Uh, you're seeing things like that all over. Wow. So we had a full week right there on yep. that. Let's see how long we've been going. Oh, my gosh. An hour and a half, and we haven't even – we just got out of the news. That's about all the time we have then. <laughs> yeah, we almost we almost have to go to bed. Now, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to – now, if you uh, – I didn't – we'll talk about diving next. Uh, I, I had my family Thanksgiving last weekend. When I say family, my wife's family and my family. So I couldn't get out and diving, but I know that you got some diving in. Yep, went up to the Black River up in South Haven. Now, why do they call that the Black River? Have you dove it yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, okay. it really wasn't bad. And uh, <clears throat> if it were closer, I would suggest we do our turkey dive up there uh, because it was a lot less hazardous than where we normally dive. <clears throat> Excuse me. And since we're going to have some newbies with us for our area, I would have, I would have uh, preferred a little less hostile environment. But um, it was really nice. Current was not bad. I had anywhere from one foot to three foot viz. Uh, it is getting more on the nippy side. Took a little while for my face to numb up. Uh, you know, after five minutes, you don't feel it. So then it wasn't a big deal. But uh, it, it was fun. I always enjoyed the dive. Didn't find any good quality bottles and stuff. But if you looked on uh, the club news, you'll see some of the objects I did find. Or did you look at the treasure? You know, I did look at the treasure. But I, I, I no, I'm going to do is I'm going to head right back then. There now to mudclub.scubaobsessed.com and take a look at that treasure, see if there's anything I missed. I'll let you just look at it and see if you have any oh, comments. You're going to make me cry, aren't you? No. Oh, oh that no. yeah, that is a little different. Yes, it is. You need to head over. I didn't I didn't bring all the parts up. It could have been a good jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess I know what that is. <clears throat> but it was interesting. Yeah, that certainly was. Yeah, yeah. 
But, but it, it was a fun dive. Um, if I were not going, I almost went out Saturday, but Bob and them went to, um, I think they went to go Lake themselves. They went on Saturday. Yep. Uh, Jim Kleeman. Uh, oh, yeah. Jim did, yeah. Yep, Jim did it. Uh, Bob and Kurt went up to Gull Lake, which is one of our favorite spots up there around Battle Creek. So they went and did some diving. And from what I understand is that they had a good good dive up there. Yep, they also mentioned it was getting chillier. Yeah, it does seem to be that. But they're all dry suit divers now, so that shouldn't be anything to them. Yeah, a bunch of wimps. I mean, yeah. uh, guys, guys. Yeah, you and I, we're the only real divers left anymore. Everybody else has gone to the dark side. Yeah, that or the dumb one. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> it just depends who whose perspective you are. I, well, that's a, that's the advantage of using a tank and you get a short feel because then that's your excuse for getting out. Hey, I'm out of air. That's short fill. Yeah, that was a short fill. I only put one tank today. Other than the brinicle hanging off my nose. Yeah. See, we got a new term now. We can use that. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can find some of those now. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't think we have anything that extreme, but that that would be interesting. I know you talked about in some of our other dives where you saw the ice forming above. To me, that'd be nearly as interesting to see. Right, the frazzle ice. That was really interesting. I wish I'd have had a camera. Oh, we need to get more of those. I'm I'm looking. We're gonna get some cameras at some point. So so that's what the diving that you had the last week. Now, we got our turkey dive. Yes. And I don't know if it's named for the holiday or for the people. I think diving. a combination of both. A little of both. Yeah. So that's coming up on Saturday. And understand that Dave from the chat room is going to be joining us. I suspect he will be. He and then uh, come up we, Friday. Have we heard anything from that other diver who? Uh, yes, that's the other gentleman from the station, some station that will probably be up there for the uh, interview or the presentation and the announcement with details. But I believe he'll be down Friday also or Saturday for the dive. Oh, excellent. I no, think we don't Mary have to wear any costumes or anything for this, do we? Well, you can. You know, feathers are optional. Bikinis? Somebody said bikinis. I don't think so. But if there is one, I definitely want to take my camera. (laughs) It's not going to be me. Not that anybody would want to see that anyway. I I, I can't even imagine a Speedo, much less a bikini. bikini. So yeah, don't 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 come out thinking you're going to see that. But uh, I'm but looking if they forward want to, to it. Participate in a bikini or a speedo. We'll take the pictures. Yeah, we'll have plenty of cameras there, at least out of the water. We'll we'll take shots just to prove it. So does it look like we're going to be diving by the uh, new Whirlpool building? I'm not sure yet. I'll be checking out tomorrow because we had that rain the other day, which was really a lot. And uh, our three options will be. Our normal site there, Riverview Drive, or the what we call the Whirlpool Basin, which used to be by the water tower because it's flatter out of the current. It's safer. And the third option will be the uh, landing there at Merrimont Street in Niles. Mm-hmm. So I will try to get the reports on those. And as I mentioned in the dive club and all that, they need to talk to us to make sure where we're going so they don't show up at point A and we happen to be at B or C. Certainly. But right now, I'm still going to go for our normal. I'm just looking for somebody to help transport the ice, Shani. Well, I think I think maybe I can help you out there. So okay. uh, Jim and I are planning on riding together to wherever it ends up being. And then uh, I'll have the van as opposed to the Explorer. So, But uh, that should be able to handle the ice, Shani. 
Yep. So that will be 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time in Michigan. If you happen to be in the area, give us a call. Yep, we'll be doing, at least I'm going to go out and get some food afterwards. Yes, afterwards is you need to get replenish some of those calories that have been burned off. So we'll go have an after-dinner meal at some sort of place to be named. <laughs> so it seems like every time I do that, that's one of those dives where afterwards it's it's soup and coffee. is <laughs> much warm liquids. Soup and coffee. Soup and coffee. And plenty of BS as well, but. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We just don't seem to be getting as much diving in. I'm getting my share. <laughs> yeah, you, you are. I haven't. I'm. I feel due. Uh, yeah. Well, so, I do have the advantage. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and get my my dives in this this uh, this weekend, and this will be. I I think this might be my first November dive. Or did I hit one? Was my lake 16? No, my the um. When was Lake 16? It can't be. It seems too late for me to not have a November dive. I don't think it was Lake 16 here in November. No, I had October October 29th was my Lake 16 dive. So I have not had a dive in November yet. This month has just slipped away. Your gear is shrinking as we talk. It is. It is. Well, actually, it's been stewing in the tank. I it, uh, I need I need to uh, kind of freshen it up a little bit. But uh, uh, so yeah, Dave, Dave in the chat room, he's... He's been uh, mentioning that he's going to be bringing a dry suit for me to try. I've been ignoring ignoring the chat room a little bit that way because uh, I, I I don't know I that that just to me sounds too exciting for me to even want to to uh, admit it. So I I think you want to try that dry suit though in flat water, yeah, not in the river. That's the wrong place to start being buoyancy factoring. You know, trying to get your buoyancy correct. Well, I'm picturing the Michelin Man on the surface is what I would look like. <laughs> Maybe they got helium. Can't you can't you fill those with helium? Wouldn't that yeah, be enough you, to float me? You really get cold. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks the heat right out, man. Maybe helium in a parasail. Squirrel. Nah, you want some argon there if you're going to put up something in your suit. Yeah, ar- argon is a, get a little bit more of an insulating value. Yeah, and cheaper. Is it cheaper, really? I believe argon's cheaper than helium. Oh, I don't know I, anything about I that. I haven't bought any in years. So... Oh, and then I did have a topic that I wanted to bring up this week, and maybe we'll cover it the next few weeks, but uh, it kind of goes along with the Black Friday, where we got Black Friday the holiday, is if you're listening to this and uh, you've, you're looking at buying a gift for a diver, I thought I'm planning on writing a post on, you know, what do you get a diver? You know, if, what's, what's the perfect gift for a scuba diver? And, and kind of a word of, word of warning for anybody who's buying for anybody who has a hobby is you need to be really close to that individual and have good communication with them to be buying them stuff on their hobby. Because typically, say they're into motocross or paintball or skateboards or diving, you're, if you're not into that sport and you're not doing it with them, you're going to have no idea what to buy them. So... Uh, but I, needless to say, I thought that would not discourage me from giving recommendations because I'm full of recommendations. So to me, one of the f- best things that you could get, and we talked about this in uh, on the Scuba Obsessed fake p- Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed. Uh, both Rich and Dave had mentioned it, but it was even an idea I had myself, was a dive buddy. Divers are always looking for other people to go diving with, and there's nothing better. If your spouse is a diver and you're not, now, I can't speak for everybody depending on your relationship, but 
a dive buddy is awful handy to have a built-in dive buddy, spouse, children, parents, anybody who wants to go diving. That is awful handy. Um, and to make that dive buddy, find out what dive shop that individual goes through and who they recommend because you want to get appropriate training that aligns with what they're doing. Um, you know, some other ideas is uh, gift certificates to the dive shop. Uh, you know, it's okay to put in a gift certificate that, you know, here's what I got it for or here's what I budgeted for. Uh, nice thing about gift certificates, they get to pick it out. So if they've been talking about that they want a new BCD, well, find out what a middle line BCD runs, get them a gift certificate for that amount, and then say, hey, you know, I know you've been wanting a BCD. Here, go the dive shop and ask them which dive shop they're using just because you think they, you know, tell them, you know, find out. You can be sneaky about this. You know, you've been buying them other gifts. Uh, you, you can find this information out, find out where they would go. So you're at the right dive shop. You know, Rich on Diver Sync talks about some horror stories where people have gone out and bought items, you know, where he spent a lot of time and they think that somebody's affiliated or they think that online. So if you're in town A and they're in town B, they're going to go online because they can ship to your location. Uh, let them know that you want your local dive shop that to be bought from. Um, so gift certificates to your local dive shop is always a bet. And I'm going to bet that they're going to have it. Other things, uh, if they have a boat, a gas card, get them a gas card, a gift card for a gas station or even a Visa loaded card. Those are always good. Divers love to eat. Food is always a good holiday gift for a diver. Uh, and drink. Most divers love to drink or two after a good dive. So that's always a safe bet. You know, some form of alcohol. <laughs> we've, we've done that for some of the dive charter captains. We've given gifts of alcohol. Uh, and then there's certain items, and I want to come up with a bigger list. So if you've got any, go ahead and uh, send them to me at the show at scubaobsessed.com or on Facebook. But some items that divers can't have too much of, O-rings. I don't think, I don't, I think if somebody bought me a bag of a thousand O-rings, that would be a fine gift. Mastifog. Can you ever have too much of that? Even if you're using baby shampoo, the commercial defogger would not hurt my feelings. And then batteries. If you are not using rechargeables, or even if you are, you can never have too many batteries for all your dive gear. You know, your your dive computer uses a battery. Your dive light uses a battery. Uh, I'm sure there's other things that maybe we won't mention that use batteries. But uh, I bet most divers uh, could could use utilize batteries. Also, subscriptions or memberships. Find out if they're a member of Dan. If they're not a member of Dan, that's a, that's a gift that you could give them. Uh, Dan, the Divers Alert Network, is an excellent organization. Uh, they also have an insurance, which is another division, a profit division. But what they do is if somebody has an issue, an emergency, they can call Dan and they'll give them advice. Uh, also, they have dive uh, insurance for when things go wrong. Hopefully they never do, but you can give them a Dan membership. Patty also has memberships. There's also subscriptions. Find out what their dive magazine is and you can get them an extension on their current subscription. So, uh, back like all of those sound like really good ideas. Yeah. So I'm going to, if I can get around to it and I'm so motivated, I'm going to put that into a post, but if anybody's has any other ideas, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. So, I mean, did, did I leave anything off Mac? Anything you can think of? No, you pretty much covered it. Just make sure you have friends who have deep pockets. <laughs> yeah, deep pockets. You know, that dry suit. You know, go ahead and get me uh, a white fusion with the new undergarment. I bet you can you can get that all together for under three grand. Is that too just much to ask? <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. So uh, just make sure. Just 
just understand. And, and, and that's when I, when I hear people uh, who have hobbies and you want to buy for them, that's toughest. I think it's, uh, that, that, that can be a challenge, but it, it's doable. I mean, it's one of the things that they're going to appreciate the most if you do it right. And maybe another thing well, might be, uh, what's that? Is it getting to be about that special time? You know, I think it is. So let me go ahead and pull that part up. Dust the cobwebs off my eyesight. So once again, thank everybody in the chat room for coming on. Uh, if you are just recently discovering the podcast, make sure you say subscribed. You go over to iTunes uh, and subscribe to us. We love that. You can also listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher.com forward slash scuba. And that will get you in a drawing. And also allows you to listen to us stream that audio right to your smartphone. Uh, again, we've got a bunch of websites. We're now in Google+. Go ahead and click. Also, head on over to our, you, you click on the About, uh, our fans page, and then we have our, our pins. Place a pin. Let us know where you're listening from. We absolutely love that. And then also back on the iTunes, those four-star reviews. Should we leave now? You might be the smart thing to do, but uh, if you can't, if, if you're not man enough or woman enough, for the bad scuba joke of the week, you know, you have been adequately warned. <laughs> so you ready, Mac? Born ready. Ready, Mac. Isn't that isn't that a like a macaroni and cheese? Ready, Mac. Oh, there's a sure. restaurant. There's a restaurant in New Buffalo called Ready, Mac, isn't there? Matter of fact, I think there is. <laughs> Obscure. Maybe I just need a few more drinks of wine. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have some turkey after we're done. You're gonna have some turkey. Yeah, maybe a little more pumpkin pie. Ooh. I made some pumpkin pie. I cooked some up last night. My son, it's one of the, he's a picky eater, and that's one of the few things that he actually likes is, is pumpkin pie. He discovered it at his uh, grandparents' last weekend, and we made some. So uh, I now I know how to at least get him to have a pseudo-vegetable one way or another. Well, there's my niece uh, that we had Thanksgiving over there, and she makes some one item that is especially good. It's called Better Than Sex Cake. I'm guessing that has a little bit to do with chocolate. It has a little bit of everything. It's really good. Now, does it? Is it really better than sex, though? I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay, so so with it, with that said, we're going to hit hit the bad scuba joke. An 80 year old scuba diving couple were having problems remembering things, so they decided to go to their doctor to get checked out to make sure nothing was wrong with them. When they arrived at the doctor, they explained to the doctor that they had problems with their memory. After checking the couple out, the, the couple out, the doctor tells them they're physically okay, but might want to start writing things down and making notes so they could remember things. The couple thanked the doctor and left. Later that night, while watching TV, the old man gets up from his chair and asks his wife, where are you going? He replies, to the kitchen. She asks, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? He replies, sure. She then asks him, don't you think you should write it down? So you can remember it? He says, no, I can remember it. She says, well, I also would like some strawberries on top. You better write that down because I know you'll forget that. He says, no, I can remember that. You want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries? She replies, well, I would also like whipped cream on top. I know you'll forget that, so you better write that down. With irritation in his voice, he says, I don't need to write that down. I can remember that. He fumes into the kitchen. About 20 minutes later, he returns and hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. She stares at the plate for a moment and says, you forgot my toast. <laughs> I think I can relate. <laughs> I, I'm getting that point where I'll walk out in the kitchen 
and I'll stare there and I go, why did I come out here? <laughs> for myself, for Jim, for Matt, for Claire, for everybody else, until next week, go out there and get wet. And uh, be safe out there, guys. And be Oh, and that does it. Let me hit pause wherever I can find that darn button. Here we go. Call recording has been completed. <laughs> did you get that note I sent you? 23 uh, items? 23 items. I did get that that note. <laughs> number one was me. Were, were you number one? <laughs> yeah. I look at my, my watch three times and still can't tell you what time it is. <laughs> oh, man. Mary I Beth think... got me. She likes number 20. 20. That's where you, whenever somebody gets in that lane to the left, when everybody should be getting to the right, so everybody gets closer and closer, so the guy can't swoop into the lane with you. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll so, have to post that that one out there some somewhere for everybody so they can see that one as well. That's a twenty-three adult truths is what you're talking about. Yep, that's correct. So here, let me see if I can paste this in the chat room. It gets the two. The chat room doesn't give me enough room. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Until next week. Uh, the, <laughs> shoo, I have to edit that out. Uh, <laughs>